Thanks for listening to The Vine. We're a new church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this sermon helps you in doing that. Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Mark 2, 23 through 28. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Like I shared earlier, this is the seventh day in our series. Uh, called Beginnings, and uh, in it we celebrate this idea on the seventh day that there is rest. So I just want to begin by asking a question, and the question is this. What comes to mind when you think about the word Sabbath? What comes to mind? Now turn to a neighbor and share that thing that comes to mind. All right, okay. My guess is for many of us, when we think about the idea of Sabbath, we're like, uh, eh, right? It's just kind of obscure, seems a little uh, ancient, you know, it just seems like it's not really needed or we don't know what to do with it, sounds a little cultish, sounds super weird, Sabbath, what? What's funny is that uh, there's something to that. So in Jesus' most powerful sermon by many people, they believe this, was the Sermon on on the Mount, where he said the Beatitudes and other things like that. In the middle of this long sermon, there's like this little caveat. And in this caveat, he said these words in Matthew 7, 13 through 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road. Listen to these. Wide and broad is the road that leads to destruction And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. I remember around 13 years ago, I was visiting with my friend Nick. And we were just talking about what's going on in our life. And he said, I've been reading that passage, this passage, and Mark, it's starting to haunt me. That this gate is really, like, narrow. The, the, The gate and the road's super thin. And that makes me think that I have to be really intentional to really experience the life that God created me to, but I don't act like that. I just act like I, I can just go along with the flow and just live with the stream of, that our culture and our, and our world seems living with, and I'll experience the great things in life. And it doesn't seem like that is the case here. Jesus is saying that it's actually narrowness. It's actually like intentionality. It's like looking for where is this narrow gate that's entering into life that Jesus might be intending for us. And my thought is if there's any narrow gate in our culture, Sabbath might be it. 
If there's anything that seems really kind of thin and hard to find, it might be this idea of Sabbath. You can't really expect to be a part of status quo and the norm and go with the flow. That seems to be more of the wide, wide gate. And for us, we have to learn how to buck the system and how to look for the road less traveled. And maybe then we'll be on this narrow way to life. And that might be also the practice of Sabbath. We find the beginning of Sabbath in Genesis 2, in the very first verses in this chapter. So remember, after six days of creation, our, our world might think, at the end of all this creation, then we get to work, right? Like everything is set up. Now we get to work. But instead, God, on the seventh day, does something very different. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God created this work, finished this work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This passage for me brings up some real questions. Like questions like, why did God need to rest? Right? Was he just pooped? Was he just tired? Was he like just exhausted from it? Did he, would he have to sit back and kind of like enjoy creation? Do you want to delight in it? My thought is probably what God did was he, in the same way we've treated all these other six days as a template for how to experience new beginnings in our life, that God's intentionality includes rest. Why? Because it is in rest that we too find these beginnings. This word here, on the seventh, uh, on this word here if you go back one more slide, um, Because on it, the very end of verse 3, on it he rested from all the work he'd been doing. Uh, That word rested is uh, the word sabbat, which is a Hebrew word, which where we get this word Sabbath from. And sabbat literally means to stop. (laughs) So on this day of creating that seems to be so natural for God, he stopped. He had a Sabbath. He stopped. And I think as a culture, we have forgotten how to stop. How often do you see someone just sitting and daydreaming? <laughs> how often do you see someone just, just sitting there and doing nothing? How often do you do that? I don't do it easily. And I think for me, what I've noticed in my life, and maybe this is for your life as well, I have traded rest for, for productivity. I've traded them out. And I think that we're a culture that's like, We're infatuated with productivity. Like there's whole blogs about like cheats in life, how to get like more things done. There's like uh, books written about, there's podcasts I've I've listened to about how to be more productive, how to schedule your day, what should I be eating, how much should I be exercising, all to be more productive. And this would be great if that led to more room to rest. But it doesn't seem to be doing it. It just seems like we're chasing more productivity. Like we're just amping it up a little bit more. And in the midst of this frantic schedule, it's like there's a little carrot in front of us that we're chasing. And it's kind of cruel that this is just how it seems to be going in our life. And we need a different rhythm. We need a different way of being because many of us are exhausted. We need a seventh day. 
Notice in Genesis 2, 3, it says, Then God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy. If you look, if you've been a part of this series, notice that on all these days of creation, these days of beautiful creativity that God was doing, none of them were made holy. Only this seventh day we find that God makes it holy. Stopping is holy work. Resting is holy. Yet many of us, we don't want it. Why did God rest on the seventh day? I think God rested on the seventh day to show us that it is good. To show us that it is good for us to do this. This is how the maker of the universe created this whole world to be. The rhythms of life and life again, like renewing life, that the creator made it just like this. And we see God resting and we kind of go, oh, well, isn't that neat? Isn't that confusing? What are we supposed to do with that? And I just wish if it was important that God would have made it, I don't know, a commandment, right? Like, you have to keep Sabbath? Like, he actually did do that. On, like, the Ten Commandments, if you guys remember this, when Moses went up to the mountain, this, like, this became the rhythm for the life of Israel. Moses came down, like, with big commandments that you and I probably take seriously. Commandments like murdering and lying adultery, other things like that, we kind of go, okay, yeah, that's a commandment. But then in there, the fourth one is about Sabbath. And we go, yeah, well, that one's more of a suggestion, right? (laughs) Or that was for that day and age, not for here today. Exodus 28, this is what that commandment says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We let it live with just enough ambiguity and fuzziness that we just don't, we get to have the convenience of not having to deal with it. It's just just kind of just fuzzy and out there like a pet that we don't want, like a stray cat. We just, oh yeah, the Sabbath, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll feed it every once in a while. Maybe it'll go to another house. I think one of the most radical things that we can do as followers of Jesus is practicing Sabbath. I think it's one of the most radical things we can do in our day and age. Why? Because it is the narrow gate. It's not natural. We don't see it in our culture. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to a different way of being. Flannery O'Connor is a fiction writer, mostly short stories. And I love this quote from her. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you odd. (laughs) I think if followers of Jesus should be odd. We should be weird. Not weird because of like the Christian t-shirt we're wearing or weird in the fact we only listen to music labeled for Christians, but weird in the way we see this world. Weird in the way we treat other people. Weird in the way in which we find a rhythm to live. That we should be odd. That word holy actually can be translated as odd. Different unique, set apart. And for us, this might be a narrow gate. Not only did God demonstrate the Sabbath in the garden, not only did he make this a commandment to the formation of God's people through the, through the uh, Ten Commandments, but Jesus also demonstrated what it meant to live in a different rhythm. Here are just a couple passages we find in which Jesus lived with. Mark 6, 31 and 32, after a huge victory, after a huge victory ministry, there was a groundswell of support for Jesus. The disciples had started seeing 
God used them. Then Jesus said, I want you guys to come away with me by yourself. I want you to come to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves to a boat to a solitary place. Jesus was like dodging people. Mark 1, 35 through 37. Then very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you. Like, Jesus is just like dodgy. He's slippery. He would just sneak off quite often. Luke 5, 15 and 16 Yet the news, spread, uh, news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him to be healed of their sickness. But often Jesus withdrew to the lonely places and prayed. I love that phrase, lonely places. We see that Jesus oftentimes disappeared. My thought is Jesus probably would be fired from most churches. <laughs> like right when there's a lot of momentum, there's this huge following he just fed 5,000 people, and then people go, great. Now is when we ramp it up. Now is when we take it to the next mile, and Jesus is like, I'm out. I'm going to just sneak off for a little bit. I'm going to get in my boat. I'm going to disappear, turn off my phone. Why? Why would Jesus do that? This is a scary statement, so I'm just going to admit that. If I were God, scary statement. If I were God and only had like 33 years here in this world, I wouldn't rest. Why? One more miracle to do. One more person who needs healing. One more person who's living in shame and regret who needs to hear the good news that my kingdom is coming. I would use every single minute. Why? Because I'm only here just for this little bitty window. I'm going to make the most of it. And Jesus chose to live in a different rhythm. Why did Jesus go away? He rested, he prayed, he spent time with his father, he sought solitude. Why? I think because we would all say, yes, he wanted it, but maybe Jesus also needed it. Maybe Jesus needed to be with God to remember who he was, to remember whose power he was using, to remember what was the point of this. And you and I, we look at the idea of Sabbath and we go, maybe, maybe I'll get to it. Jesus, he not only lived with the idea of Sabbath, but he also didn't fall into the trap of it becoming a lifeless tradition. We find in our second reading uh, that was read earlier, Mark 2, 23 and 24, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. As his disciples were walking along, they began picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees said to them, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? I love this picture of Jesus, what Jesus does on the Sabbath. What is he doing? He's walking with his followers. I mean, imagine this in your mind, that Jesus walking through a wheat field, just walking and talking, talking about life, talking so much you run out of things to talk about, and then someone keeps on telling the same story you've heard over and over again. Jesus actually just being with his disciples. This reminds me of last week when we talked about Genesis 3. Remember what, was, what happened in Genesis 3 is that God showed up in the cool of the evening 
and he was walking through the garden, wondering where Adam and Eve were. Almost as if that God would spend every evening walking with Adam and Eve in the garden, spending time with them, talking to them, hearing their hearts, hearing their thoughts, this relational picture of God. And here's Jesus doing the same thing. He's walking through this field, and as they're walking, they're just pulling off heads of grain and eating it, like the provision of God is there even on the Sabbath. And they're eating it. Uh, But then the Pharisees saw it. The Pharisees, they saw it and go, look, look what's going on. They're breaking the law, which they weren't, but they were breaking the law. It's good to understand what's going on with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were like the religious rulers of that time. And they saw it as their job. And this is like the problem with most religion is we're given these broad callings from God. of This is how to live. This is how to exist. And our temptation is we don't like ambiguity. We like just, God, give me the playbook. Give me the policy manual, right? Tell me how to live. And so these Pharisees, the word Pharisee literally means to clarify. It means like to, to whittle it down to, to, to the idea of practices. And so these Pharisees, they have this, this grand calling from God to observe the Sabbath, but they wanted to clarify it. So what does it mean to observe the Sabbath? And so they would make up all these rules, and one of them was you can't pull grain off of crops. This is the temptation with religion, is we don't like ambiguity, so we end up making our own playbook with the idea if we abide by this playbook, then maybe we're living with God. And so they, the Pharisees would make this long list of things that one must do to be in right standing with God. And they would literally call this playbook their yoke. And so if someone wanted, to, if they saw like a rabbi or a Pharisee who they appreciated, they respected, they said, I, I want to come and be your follower, the rabbi or the Pharisee would say, good, then put on my yoke. You have to live with my playbook. You have to abide by my rules if you want to be my follower. And so the problem is that Jesus and his followers were walking through this field and they're pulling off grain. And all of a sudden these Pharisees were threatened. Why? Because their playbook was being questioned by Jesus and his followers. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not allowed to do that on on the Sabbath. You're, You're breaking the law. No, you're breaking your law, not God's law. And so you see why they got wrapped up with this. And so Jesus, in response in verse 27, he gives them this kind word, and this is also a kind word for me and you today. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. We were not created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for us. It was created so that the Sabbath... We were not created to serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created to serve us. It is a gift. That is what the Sabbath truly is. The Sabbath is a gift. It's not a burden. It's not something that's old and dated. This is how God designed it to work. When I ask you the question, what comes to mind when you think of Sabbath? Turn to your neighbor and talk about it. Your eyes should have just lit up. Your shoulders should just slump and just go, oh, the Sabbath is so good. What do you do for the Sabbath? Oh, this is what I do. What do you do? Oh, it's so good. Oh, the Sabbath is such a gift. Yet for us, we're, I don't know. 
I don't know what it is. All right, so let's just define the Sabbath to make it less fuzzy. Let's actually own this pet, not let it be a stray cat. The Sabbath is, a first off, a commandment, not a royal suggestion. It's a commandment from God to shut down the machine for a period of time so that you can be renewed. The Sabbath is a commandment to shut down the machine for a period of time so that you can be renewed, so that you can experience refreshing, a new beginning. So I, we usually don't talk much practical stuff because I, I think Ted and I are a little bit concerned about us telling you how to live. Like we're now giving you our yoke. Like we're now telling you what to do. But just for a little bit, I might just give you suggestions. How do you practice Sabbath? Step one is you have to stop. Step one is sabbat. <laughs> it's that Hebrew word. You have to stop. You have to shut down the machine. You need to silence the phone. You need to shut down the computer. Whatever seems to be running your life, turn it off so that you begin to notice that, whoa, there's been a humming sound in the background that I got used to. And this thing that's been running my life was always an elective. You were not created to worship productivity. You were created to experience renewal with and from God. And so for a period of time, the Sabbath doesn't mean you have to take Sunday off. Right now, I'm clocked in. This is not my Sabbath. I'm working. The Sabbath is meant to be a period of time where you mark out a rhythm, a different way of shutting it down, of stopping. So for me personally, Fridays are my Sabbath. I turn into a dad-shaped pumpkin. I don't really respond to email. I don't turn on my computer. I'm just Mark at home, and I'm wearing comfy clothes, flip-flops maybe. For this period of time, it's my Sabbath. It's my time of stopping, and it's really, 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 really hard for me. It's a discipline. Sabbath will not come easily. It's the narrow gate. But the point of stopping is that we stop so that we now can have room. We actually now have space in our life. It's not just stopping, we do nothing. It's actually, oh, okay, so now there's space in my life for reconnecting, for reconnecting and renewal. So step two is really about reconnecting. We take this open st- space and we fill it with restoration. We fill it with that which renews us. We re- reconnect to a couple different things. First, we reconnect to God. We reconnect to God in prayer, in reading, in our personal worship. There have been times for me where my Sabbath means on Friday mornings I'm taking a long walk with God. I walk around the Arbor Trail, around the Whole Foods and Costco area. And I just take a long walk with God and we just talk together. We spend time together. Some of my best prayers have been on that trail. Sometimes the Sabbath with God is reading a book or reading scripture, like immersing yourself in God's word. Maybe it's listening to a sermon or a podcast while you're tooling around in the yard. Uh, Recently for me, I, I have a really hard time with prayer. And so recently for me, I practiced this little weird fact, this the truth shall make you odd, so I'm embracing the, odd, the oddness, the oddity of being a follower of Jesus. So I, I go to my closet, and I pull out a candle, and I light a candle, 
and I spend around five to ten minutes just being with God. And I'm just lighting a candle going, God, would you light my heart again with you? First thing I do in the morning, I just, God, I want you to light my heart anew with you. I want you to light my imagination, my awareness, my attentiveness. And I just sit there in the closet for five to ten minutes. Before I start my day, sabbat, stop. Uh, For you, it's about reconnecting with God as well. But we also reconnect with each other. On the Sabbath, we make relationships a priority. We set aside this time to be with the people in which God has put us in contact with to give them our undivided attention. And that's a rare commodity in this day and age, our undivided attention. So that means for, for me, I really try to shut down my phone and put it in a little technology basket that you might imagine for a middle schooler. Mark needs it. I put it on the shelf. If someone needs me, I'm going to hear the ringer. If not, I'm not just going to go on my phone because, by the way, when I'm scrolling through news feeds, it doesn't renew me. I get that the rest of my week. This day is set apart. And so I put it aside because I realize that my undivided attention is something I rarely give to my family and the people I love. For instance, my friend Andrew began to realize as he was putting down his kids that he only has a small window to be with his kids. And so uh, when he was putting down his kids, he found that oftentimes he'd be on his phone in this like 30-minute window with his kids. And he got so annoyed with it after his kids started pointing it out that he went on this grand pursuit for something really rare called a flip phone. He went looking for a flip phone. He barely could find it. And he kept on going, no, I want a flip phone. I want to, and finally got it. So he wouldn't be distracted with his family. He's taking Sabbath seriously. So for us, we reconnect with one another. So for me on Fridays, one of my goals for uh, reconnecting with each other is, for, for me, I pick up Dylan uh, on Friday afternoons. And I, my goal every single Friday is to make a memory. I just want to be a dad that's a memory maker. And so sometimes that means throwing up the tent in the backyard for the fun of it. It might mean that we, we go and fish together, even though we know we're not going to catch anything. Or right now we're in the pursuit of finding the best cinnamon roll in town. We're trying different coffee shops and bakery, looking for the best cinnamon roll in town. Why? Because I want Dylan and I to hang out. I want her to know the sound of my laughter and hers. You know, I, I want to be together. That's what Sabbath is about. Is reconnecting with the people that God's given us, put us in relationship with. But not only are we supposed to reconnect with God and with each other, this is the hard part, people. Warning, this is like the sophomore, junior level. We reconnect with ourselves. Sounds hokey, right? But it's so important. On the Sabbath, we are asked and confronted by a simple question. What makes you alive again? What's like uniquely wired into your personhood that makes you come to life? What fills your tank and sparks in this reminder, oh yeah, this is who I am. The thing that's hard about this is it's different for each of us. What makes you come to life won't be the same for me. Why? It's because God is a creative God, expansively creative. And for some people, it might mean working in the garden. For other people, it's painting. For some people, it's reading a book. But what makes you come to life that has nothing to do with your job? And so with this new room, we fill it with this simple question. We answer it with, what, what do you delight in? One of uh, the things that, we, last week we talked about the first words that God said. First words he spoke over humanity. First words that he spoke to humanity after the fall. 
Uh, I love in the book of John, what was Jesus' first words? There were people starting, who started to follow him, and Jesus just turned around, and his first words in this gospel was, what do you want? Don't you just love that question? What do you want? You could, trans, like, you could interpret that to be like, what do you want from me? But I really think, at least for me right now, that question is, what do you really want out of life? Like, what, do you, like, what is your really, the craving of your heart? What is the thing that you long for? And the sad truth is that many of us, we don't know. We have been so disconnected from our own personhood that we really don't know how to answer that. Sabbath provokes this question, what do you truly want? What makes you come to life? And the reason why this is so important is St. Arrhenius, like early, 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 early Christian, gives us this beautiful quote. The glory of God is a man or woman fully alive. The glory of God, we might think the glory of God is maybe like written in creation or it's in worship or something like that. But the glory of God is when you and me, when we're fully alive. Why is that? Well, it's because God, infinitely creative God, created you just like the way you are so that when you're fully alive, God goes, ah, there it is. That's what I intended. So when we are living half-hearted, when we're bankrupt from even knowing what we want, we're not experiencing the fullness of God's glory. Yet, when we flourish, when we live in rhythms of rest and renewal, when we are the people God's created us to be, that's when we experience in the full measure God's glory. Why? Because we're living as people fully alive. And there's a big, big difference between surviving and being fully alive. And most of us, we spend our weeks just trying to get through it, just trying to bear it. This is not God's intent for you. God created you to be fully alive. So on the Sabbath, we reconnect with ourselves. So for Jen, if I didn't ask for permission, sorry, Jen. For Jen, what does it mean for her to reconnect to herself? That means that she, she's going to spend some time maybe reading a fiction book uh, she might do that. She might take a walk. She might take a nap. And that's all so good because it fills up her tank. For me, on Friday nights, I love playing yard games. Croquet, can jam. I'm out in the yard. Robert O'Keefe's playing in the background, preferably with a slide guitar, and I have a frosty beverage in my hand. That's me. I love it. And that just fills my tank. I'm ready to, for the next day because, ah, This is so good. This is a part of who I am. So to do this well, we have to encourage our spouses and the people, our roommates, if you're single, people that you live with, ask them this question. What can I do to help provide Sabbath for you? What can I do to help you come back to life? Because if like Jen just came to me and said, I'm gonna disappear for a couple hours, good luck, and she she throws me like our car keys or a baby or something like that. (laughs) I'd be like, okay, what's, what's the deal? But if she came to me and said, hey, Fridays, all I need is two hours. That's all I need right now, just two hours. I personally, I would love to give her the gift of Sabbath. That'd be really hard for me to hold that back. So encourage you people to talk with the people you live with, people you're around. What can I do to help encourage you in Sabbath? Because for many of us, the idea of Sabbath is really frustrating. 
Just because our pace of life is so such that we, it's really hard to do that, especially in the, in the phase of being a young family. It's super hard. It's like we're an impoverished kid outside Disneyland screaming to be let in. Like, <laughs> we want Sabbath. And so what I would encourage you to do is just start small. Tag team if you have to. Uh, for single parents in this room, um, my, my recommendation is this. Let us help you. Like we intentionally planted a church that's multi-generational so that you could be surrounded by people who miss having a baby in their hands, who just want to hold a baby, and they're going to call them like an edible object. I just want to eat this baby up. It's frightening. Don't be worried. It's what they do. Look at this little muffin. No, it's not a muffin. He's alive. Talk to your vine group. Talk to people around here. Raise a hand. Let us help you. This idea of Sabbath is a little bit dawning, so start small. Maybe it's Tuesday nights after dinner. That's your Sabbath. We have the three-hour period. We're just going to start there. Why? Because Sabbath is a gift, and like all gifts, we have to learn to receive it. It's not going to come naturally. So we have walked through each of these seven weeks and these seven days, and it ends with rest. And rest is hard work, but this is God's desire for you is that you could be made alive again. You could be refreshed. Why? Because you might have to enter back into day one all over again. Enter the cycle all over again. The good news is that God longs for you to experience the gift of Sabbath. You guys remember the the term yoke that these Pharisees and these, uh, these rabbis they had that they oppressed the people with? I want you to hear a maybe a familiar verse to some of you using the same term, yoke. And I want to see, just curious, how this sits with you today. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says this, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Who's weary and burdened today? This is the invitation of Jesus. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God's design is when you hear the word Sabbath, your heart and your mind flicker with hope. Because it's on this day we experience renewal. It's on this day when we stop, we experience God's undeserved grace in our life. Jesus wants you to be fully alive. Are you willing to enter the narrow gate of Sabbath to experience it?